Good evening, our fellow lovers of love. Thank you for joining us on this excursion through the stream of consciousness, through the river of tranquility, and on towards the lake of love. And my lips forgot to have it work right before we came on camera. I am a we wet man. Spilled your lemonade all over you. I have pink lemonade all over my pants, but that's all right. We'll get through. <laughs> it's been that kind of a week. But I came across a story. I mean, the story's from actually back in uh, July, I think it was. But I'm talking about Dr. Ruth. And I think uh, we'll have a quick discussion about Dr. Ruth in, here in a few minutes. Just because just I thought I hadn't thought about Dr. Ruth in a long time. For people our age, it was a transitionary time, shall we say, in how we talk about sex and sexual relations. And yeah, she was. She was a more important figure than I think we give her credit, than people give her credit for. Um, so it was nice to see. She opened a lot of doors. Yeah, so it was nice to see. And then we're going to go talk about some. Uh, so much, some holiday love, some stuff, finding love during the holiday, holiday date nights, you know, and uh, gifts, that kind of thing. Small personal gifts, because, you know, these are tough economic times for lots of people. And no one wants your loved ones to go into debt to buy you a trinket, right? No. So, or a t-shirt or something that you're only going to wear three times, you, you know. So, let's find some better ways to express our love, because... That's what it's about. Even though I'm don't, you find other ways. That's and then we've got our traditional questions to end to end the show. So it's been a rough week in Cassidy Jazz over here. It's you know, I started the week off with essentially I guess it was a panic attack, you could actually argue. So that was no good. But well, you had a lot of medical stuff going on, and that never sits well with you. No, getting caught in medical bureaucracy had never one that sit well with me. But you know, and I, I struggle with how much to talk about that here, how my own, our own struggles, and so I try to stay away from specifics, but I try just to talk about the general emotions that we we go through, and so it's in order to do that, you. Have to if I'm struggling with this then there's other people out there there's lots of people who are dealing with illnesses right now whether it's you know long-haul COVID or or you know issues with the vaccine itself you know and I ride along towards all the normal things that go wrong with the human body you know it covers the whole gamut there's nothing has changed in the last year and a half, two years, except, you know, a couple added worries. And so, you know, I think um, expressing how I'm feeling, how I'm getting through it is an important part of it because I posted something on my personal page. I may have posted it to the Facebook page. I don't know. I'm going to have to get better about the social media cross-posting thing. But about how men need to feel it's okay to be vulnerable, to express their emotions. But 
in order to feel it's okay, they have to know how it's done. You know, how do men do it? Not how do women do it, how do men do it? Because men are different. In general scope, right? We express and deal with our emotions differently than women do. Yes. And so it's not that we don't deal with them, we just deal with them differently. And what we need to do is to let the people who care about us into that process. We don't need to change it. We just need to let them into it and explain to people this is this is why, this is how. Men are programmed to get through the emergency. And what we forget to do is, after it's over, to go back and deal with the emotions. We think that the thing is over. Well, no, all we did was put the emotions back so we can get deal with them with the tasks. But once those things are over, once the immediate need is over, you have to go back and deal with the emotions that you put aside to accomplish whatever needed to be done. And that's what we don't do. We don't go back and we don't deal with it very well until it's built up to a point where it, it all comes out all at once in this twisted pretzel form that had no resemblance to reality anymore because you never gave yourself a chance to assimilate all these emotions and feelings. Would have ever figured. Like I now <laughs> drink pink lemonade. Well, try to drink pink lemonade <laughs> <laughs> instead of what the ten cans of Dr Pepper I was drinking today. I've, you know, I've changed my diet a lot. I'm not saying I have a healthy diet. I'm not going to go that far, but I no longer have an unhealthy diet. You know, <laughs> it's not drastically unhealthy. I've changed that. No one ever thought that would happen. You know, I started going to the gym and, but that was, if, uh, how unique it is, but it's not one that's expressed. You know, it wasn't just you know, not, not being able to see the vision problems. And then uh, one of the you could deal with, but being both, you know, I can't, well, there's all, I can only do something about one of those immediately, right? Well, only one of those things is completely in my control, more or less. And so... You know, that's the one we have to work on, medical bureaucracy, so to speak. Again. <laughs> I'm the poster child for bureaucratic black holes. I don't understand. It seems like every time you make a fluoride, into the medical world, medical bureaucracy, you You know, I'm kind of out supportive, and it's the issue is me and my bureaucrat. It's the strange bureaucratic hole mind. Clear it up, and it just takes time, which is not something I have a lot of. So it's just frustrating. 
So, anyways, after that, we'll get here. We want to let everybody know you can. Oh, wow, that's the wrong thing. You can send a lovey, a dear lovey letter Oops. at love at latenightlove.us. You can, whatever your the phraseology over there is. I don't know. I get notifications when someone sends me something. I don't actually use Twitter too actively. But, you know, I get notifications if you send something to me. So it's set up like that. So you can talk to me on Twitter. You can send us, um, go to our website. There's a contact form on the website. You can hit us up at Anchor FM and leave us a voice message, or you can send us a message now if you got interested and want to talk about something. All right. So what else do we've got? Oh, Dr. Ruth. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Ruth, she was at a, I don't know, you being in middle Ohio, I don't know how much you would have got been exposed to Dr. I guess it was, you, would have, you would have been outside of Ohio at that point, right? Yes, I was. Yeah, so you were, you were outside. Of, it was the 70s. So it was the mid to late 70s where she really started. And well, she was the first person who had kind of a public academic discussion about sexuality. And she could get away with it because she was this little grandma figure, Holocaust survivor, and you couldn't criticize her because you can't, right? <laughs> it's like criticizing grandma. You can't do it. And so, and so she could get up there and she could say things that nobody else could say. And she was, and she did it in an academic way, which was, you know, how she was able to do it. And it was just a strange kind of bizarre cultural phenomenon essentially that she sparked this little strange you know holocaust surviving immigrant woman sitting around there talking about sex <laughs> you know openly and casually just having casual discussions about we still to this day you know 40 years later or whatever it is still don't have culturally those kind of open discussions about sexuality we kind of pretend to but we really don't not that way. Not that way. Not in the seriously non-judgmental way. It was just the way it was. I mean... Well, yes. Yes. And what I like about this article, very heartwarming, she she answered the question, should 90-year-olds be still having sex? And she answered, yes, if you have a partner. If not, you should be doing it alone. Now, what really just warmed the cockles of my heart is she's in her 90s. She's still rocking it. I'm so happy for her. <laughs> well, anytime that makes people happy, right? If it, if you're willing and able, and you know, why can't you? Why wouldn't you? You know, the human body is the human body. It is what it is. But, yeah, she's a little pistol. She still is, 90-something years old, and she's still... She's retired and all that, but still, good lord. I mean, we didn't even know what sex therapist was back when she came about. It's like I don't know if she wasn't the first ones, but she was the first one to hit kind of. Well, she was on uh, right in the article. I didn't see her uh, all that much, but she was on a nightly. On a Sunday night, I believe it was. Well, she had NBC Radio. It was she had a radio. NBC Radio, and her husband went for ten years, and he would sit while she did her show. 
Yeah, she had a she had a radio show, and then she worked on NBC. She'd come in as the sex correspondent. Anytime NBC needed someone to come in and talk about sex, she was their sex correspondent, which of course then led her to becoming the country's most world-renowned expert on sex. And she'd go everywhere. You know, Good Morning America, Johnny Carson. I don't know if she was actually on, but you know, the late night shows. She'd go everywhere. You know, talk about. Talk about all those things and sex the way we don't hear because we try to be family friendly. She could figure out how to do it and be family friendly. I'm not that good. <laughs> I could do it, but I can't predict that it will be family friendly. I love the way she said orgasms. <laughs> well, it was because it's... She had a particular <laughs> accent. And she would say it. it was well, yeah, this little this little German woman, kind of grandma-looking German. Well, she was a grandma-looking German woman back in the eighties, right? Forty years ago, she was. And so, oh, I can't believe she's still around. So it kind of warmed my heart when I saw that she was still around. So I want to give our shout out to Dr. Ruth. We appreciate what you did for our culture because we wouldn't be as sexually repressed as we still are. We would not be as free as we are today if it wasn't for her. Yes. And I really generally believe that. And so I, you know, a shout out to, to Mr. Mr. Dr. Ruth, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Dr. Dr. Ruth. What the heck? <laughs> Westheimer. That's her name. West Westheimer. Dr. Ruth Westheimer. I, she was just Dr. Ruth. It was like one of those people who just had one name, like Prince. You know, you just needed one name. Dr. Ruth. Dr. Ruth. That's all it was. All right. So what do we got next? And we okay, we're gonna we're gonna jump into. There's two articles. Uh, one is a video. I watched it. I took notes. I can give a report on it. All right, give the report. Which one was it? Okay, and that was um, date night. We call it no eight creative ways to find love during the holidays. All right, so this one, this is our lovey special. Go for it. Okay. Now, the first one, of course, would be holiday parties. And uh, they say to um, not forget about your married friends. And they they have single oh, that so you have. They have single people that to, to mingle with. Oh, so they're talking about. Um so this is from a single person's perspective? This is from a single per person's perspective. Oh, God. I'm sorry. For this, is to, this is to get out and about during the holidays. All right. Okay, you can volunteer. You can, and, and this would be something, so you have a, a, you have a shared interest. And also you can hook up and you can find in your town holiday events. Um, there are singles travel groups, um, exercise classes, yoga classes can get kind of tight. You never know. You might meet somebody and you might meet a girl and she's married, but she's got a single friend who's looking. Got to keep those. It's like business networking for relationships. Oh my God! Can someone? Is there a spoon? I have a spoon here. Somewhere. Dating apps. Join a club. That way you have a common interest, like bicycling. Okay. Go shopping. You meet people shopping. 
Not during the holidays. You don't meet people shopping during the holidays. Grocery shopping? Now, oddly enough, the, the volunteering is actually a good one because you can meet someone with similar morals as you because you're choosing the same the, the same uh, cause. So that's actually a pretty good one. So volunteering for something for is pretty good if you're looking for that. Volunteering at your church if you're a religious person. You know, single people have time, so they have a tendency to volunteer. And again, you might know someone's, you know, someone's grandson. Is might be like you said. You never know who's the or someone's grandson, granddaughter, whatever it is, whatever floats your boat. You know, the networking part of it. I despise thinking of it that way because it's just like, yeah. Can we can we turn finding love into something anymore? Well, <laughs> hey, I like the way this woman put it. She says you're not going to the only man you're going to meet and when you if you're sitting at home is the mailman. You got to get up, get out, and mingle. You can meet the plumber. <laughs> He's not going to come charging into your house and say, pick me, pick me, pick me. You might. Just saying. You never know. It's not likely. You probably, or that, you know, you two would be compatible, but still, it's possible. Just saying. Not likely, but it's possible. Too bad they don't have Craigslist anymore. No, but that was even more of a close your eyes and throw the darts, wasn't it? That was a huge close your eyes <laughs> and throw the darts. I can't believe you did that. You don't even remember posting it. Yeah, but I don't remember a lot anymore, so that's not my fault. All right. So date nights. Okay, so ideas during the holidays. So this kind of... Patterns after this. All right, uh, so, so and now you found no, somebody. No, you missed one. You no. missed one. No, I'm going to go back to that one. We're okay. going to go to that one. We're going to start with date night. Date night. Because ideas. now you found somebody. Okay. So now you got to go. What to do during the holidays? You found someone. You you volunteered at the at the soup kitchen or whatever, and you've and you found somebody. So now you want to go out. So what are you going to do? But there's a. A number of things that you can do. Okay, number one, this is this is called uh, take advantage of seasonal fun. But um, for example, to go see the Nutcracker Ballet. Why don't you take me? The Nutcracker Ballet. Yeah. I can't see it. No, you didn't hear me. <laughs> I said, why don't you take me? Yeah. Because I can't see it. Mm -hmm. Make s'mores over a fire. Join a caroling group. We could go caroling. Oh, yeah. You want me to go caroling? Yes. Why? Or take a walk through a neighborhood of Christmas lights. These are all low-key things. Yes. Well, if you can sing, yeah. Now, this one says, for more adult-related fun, consider a drinking game. Yeah. Okay, you can do something classic like a snowball fight. Uh huh. Or, ooh, if you got the cash, go to a ski resort. That's not a first night thing. Enjoy. Okay, the next one is enjoy festive food. Uh huh. Okay. Um, well, there's lots of food fest food things with good festivals and things, so it's a good time for for that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, what you can do this one if you, this is if you're already a couple, 
and you've been invited somewhere, you can make your potluck, the, uh, the dish together the night before, um, and, or you could go for a wine tasting to decide on the best bottle to present upon your arrival. So food related. Yeah, it doesn't have to actually be wine. You can choose anything. I know lots of people, you know, do wine, but you can do other things if you didn't want to, if you're not a drinker, like in this house, what, you know, what would we do instead of wine? We do, um, well, we like, could do marijuana tasting, but that's a whole touchy subject, but you know, I guess it's not anymore really, to be honest. It's not anymore. This is California. Well, no, we're talking to the world there, Lovey. Oh. Didn't you remember our, our little rap thing? We have Australia and New Zealand. Yes. Hi, Australia and New Zealand. We appreciate you listening. Big shout out. Hello. So, yeah. But, you know, that's what we would do. But, you know, that's us. But find out. What was that thing you did when you went to Denver? You went on a... We went on... It was a... Um, it was a joint rolling class. And it was it was sushi, and you rolled sushi too. You rolled sushi. It was called sushi and joints. And the first part we rolled sushi, and then we rolled joints, and we kept passing them. And it was a room, but there had to have been a good thirty people. Thirty people sparking joints and passing them around. God, I, I almost I had I started having trouble breathing because of course I can't turn one down. It's a party, and um, so I had brought my inhaler and I thought about going to the bathroom and using my inhaler, and I'm like, wait a minute. This is nature's way of telling me I shouldn't <laughs> I shouldn't smoke anymore. <laughs> so I didn't. I just I just turned them down after that. I hit my limit. Yeah, well that's yeah, that is nature's way of saying, Hey, excuse me. Excuse me. <coughs> You've reached the limit there. You may want to consider being at the end of that. You may want to consider passing it along for you know, others. Save some for other people. <laughs> but I went with my middle daughter. We had a wonderful time. Wonderful time. One of my favorite pictures came out of there. No, that's good. But it's a uh, but it's a thing in Denver. If anybody goes to Denver, Colorado, um, look it up. It's, it's sushi and joints. I'm sure they're still there. Yeah, but there's, the point was that there's lots of things you can, you know, you can do that are in that same genre. Yes. If you're not a, if you're not necessarily a drinker. Okay. And the next one here is seek spirituality. If you're religious, or if you just admire religious spiritual settings, why not a church service together? Um, they have the uh, the musical bells every year. Yeah, some I, of the bigger churches put on some nice productions of Christmas plays and things. So yes, they do. they do. So that's always an option for for this time of year. Again, the volunteer together again. Again, thing. volunteer together. Gift wrapping and moment. 
Making gift wrapping a moment. A woman put this together, didn't she? <laughs> no man would have said make like gift wrapping a moment. We'll do it, especially if you're not married yet. You can you can always they uh, imbibe the festive spirit with seasonal cocktails, spiked eggnog, mulled wine, or Bailey's or whiskey based hot chocolate. Whiskey based hot chocolate. Oh my God. Okay, reasons to dress up. So you, you know, go to a party, go to dress up. Hell, just put on a. Yeah, I, you know what? That's what I need. I need to have someone buy me that purple tuxedo just so I can have it, just so I can wear it. No, you're saving that for our commitment ceremony. Well, I can. Okay, but then after that, then can I wear it? Yes. Okay, that'll get me to get that done sooner. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, now you want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you Excuse know. Excuse me. I'm a simple kind of guy. I want to wear that purple. I want to wear a purple tux. Let's say a purple suit doesn't work. You have to wear a purple tux. You either have to go all the way or don't bother. A purple suit just isn't far enough. All right, so what's this last one? The five intangible gifts. The the five intangible tangible and five tangible, tangible gifts. gifts. This is for these are gifts for someone with a chronic illness. Okay, yeah. intangible gifts. Invite your relative or friend over uh, to, with a chronic illness to your holiday parties or events. Even if we can't come, it's nice to be asked. Apparently. You know, being inclusive is very important during the holidays. Okay, number two is checked on your loved one with a phone call, text, or possibly come over for a visit. Okay, many people with chronic illness have to be alone or stay home for the holidays due to symptoms and pain. So, mm-hmm. so making the effort to go see them. Okay, number three, ask us what small accommodations in your home will make us more comfortable. Yeah, knowing like, you know, food, a pillow, uh, seating things. A fan. Yeah. Who knows what it is? It's anything that might help. And and you don't know unless you ask, right? And so, and even just asking shows that you're caring and you're thinking about it. So, offering to find a ride. Yep. That's one we struggle with now, right? Having to find a ride because I can't drive anymore. So even something like you know, a trip to the grocery store. If you down, if you're down by somebody's who know you, somebody's house. If you just happen to be, and you know that they have trouble getting around, call them up and ask them. Hey, I've got a few. I got a spare hour. You need a trip to the store or anything? You know, <laughs> in my particular case, a trip down to the gym. Yeah, I can bring a plus one. You can come with me. <laughs> I, but it's not me, me in particular, but lots of people are in my shoes. No, I can't. Well, you can't drive me. No. I have panic attacks. Yeah. Well, the gym is actually different than, you, than the other gym, by the way. There's no hard bodies. They all look worse than me. So... No, it's weird in the ladies' locker room. Well, don't go into the locker room. Summer doesn't. 
Anyway, we'll move on. All right, so I'll cover what? Uh, ask okay, me to write. five tangible gift ideas. Yeah. I wasn't talking about Anyway, yes. Oh, wait. Ask us about our chronic illnesses in our lives. Yeah, well, sometimes that one you have to be careful about because some of us don't like talking about it when you're around family. You want to enjoy, you know, the rest of family. You live with it every day. Like, why do I want to necessarily talk about it all the time? And I get it. You know, some people are interested. They want to know because they care and they're, you know, they don't know unless you tell them kind of thing. But personally, I'd rather not have to tell it 15 times. I'd rather not talk about it all the time. Be prepared to talk about it for a new event or something. Yeah, sure. But yeah, just be careful with that one. That's all. Okay. That's all I'm asking. Okay. Five tangible gifts. All right. So you want to go run and take your, yeah, I'll take my break and I'll run through these tangible gifts. Sounds good. All right. So as Lubby takes her break, uh, we'll take a break for our, uh, sponsor and we'll be right back okay we are back and we'll do the back entrance here in a second um so by a small medical or modality gift that'll help chronic illness symptoms yes but you're gonna have to ask what they are you know something maybe Get something and upgrade if you have the means. You know, it says, it says here, make or bring a home-cooked or take-out meal. Yeah, maybe, you know, offer to order, a, you know, an Uber Eats or something every now and again. It's, you know, if you have an extra 30 bucks, you know, you can order it for them. Order something they wouldn't order for themselves. <laughs> you know, give them uh, something that they wouldn't can't do for themselves because often if you're chronic illness your budget is strained and so you know something nice not only are you giving them a nice meal but that's also a, a day's worth of you know money they can push off to later on it also saves them that day so it's it's more than that more than you think service gift cards Yep, service gift cards are good. DoorDash, Uber Eats, cleaning or organization, massage therapy, yoga, nail salon, spa. Yeah, and things that you know we wouldn't that they wouldn't spend money on for themselves. You kind of give them a, a service gift card, kind of forces them to pamper themselves. Now here's a sticky one though: virtual mental health counseling. Well, if if they use that, that's again, this is one of these things you want to be careful. You want to tailor the gift to the person, so you may want to talk to them. You know, and I know sometimes it's odd. You want to, it's it's awkward for both sides of the conversation. What do you need? What kind of things? But if you've built this up over time, then you will know the kind of things they would like, but can't spend on themselves or won't spend on themselves because they have other priorities. I think that's if you want to think about something. It's, you know, something that they want to spend. Give them, if you want to think about luxury, give them something that's luxurious. You know, something that they wouldn't 
if they had money, they wouldn't spend on themselves because they have things that they prioritize themselves on. So kind of force them to pamper themselves is the one way to think about that. Now, the other thing to do is someone with chronic illnesses is simple cash because you can always appreciate having some cash. Anybody with a chronic illness having some spare cash is a godsend. You know, chronic illness, it's hard. Cash is, you know, income flow is, is difficult. And so cash is more, you know, it, it's a it's a strange thing. But as we, as we like to say, what were the first three gifts, Christmas gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is cash. Frankincense and myrrh is perfume and, and incense, luxury items. So the very first Christmas gifts were were cash and luxury items. So if you can't afford it, and you have someone who could use that kind of thing, that's what you do. But if you can't afford it, people who love you don't want you going into debt to give them a trinket. So you give them something that comes from the heart. You know, even a nice card is from dollar store with a sentimental note. At this time of year, for those who love you, it's all they need. And gaming device apps. Streaming service subscriptions. Yeah, I actually prefer the gaming device or an app thing, oddly enough, if you could manage, if they're, because they get some active, at least a game, you're not passive, a streaming service, you're just watching, you're just kind of sitting there consuming. And at least with gaming, you can get active and you can network with other people. You can. So there's actually more to it than just. Just the game itself, especially nowadays when, you know, most games are have a whole community that comes with them. Yeah. So, and, you know, you might have to find out which things are work well for the person. So, you know, be careful. But it's easy to find out. There's lots of adaptive technology these days, as I'm finding out. So, you know, for me, it's getting off path. For me personally, it's getting past my stubbornness to use them, <laughs> to learn how to use them. I get frustrated. So, so, but it is what it is. So, and I want to remind everybody that you can go to latenightlove.us and find us in there and I'll show links and information. You can find us at Facebook at The Late Night Love. You can find us on Anchored F FM at slash Late Night Love. And you can find us on all your various other podcasts and social media networks. If you can't find us, let us know and we will look into it or get it. Set up. Oh, and you can find us at Late Night Loves slash locals. You can find us on locals at latenightloves.com when we really got to update all these things. It's been hard for me to do it. There's lots to learn, and it's hard to learn when, you, it's hard, yeah, when you're throwing a conniption fit because you can't see. can't see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the fr my frustration is not helping our cause over here. But we are still growing. So that's the important thing, all organic growth, and that's nice. All right, so. Questions. Questions, questions, questions. 
And this first one's actually a good one. Okay. Why do teenagers feel that they can't tell their parents most things? Because, well, generically speaking, we're going to have to get generic here because the teenage, teenagers is, you know, everybody. And you have, you know, the teenager who likes to please versus, versus the natural rebel and kind of everything in between. <laughs> and so to make a bland single statement that says, why don't teenagers feel they can tell their parents something is a complicated individual equation. But there are some generic kind of, uh, what am I thinking of, mindsets. That one, society can reinforce this notion that your parents would understand. You see out your friends' parents who don't understand your friends, and so you assume that your parents aren't going to understand, even when it doesn't make any sense. You as a parent could be completely open about your child's sexuality. You could have a child who has, who is, you know, gay, lesbian, or any whatever, right? Who's not, who's not straight, and they're afraid to come out to you because they think they're going to reject them. But you know, your whole family's full of people with a wide variety of sexualities. Everybody's open. Everybody's fine, and there's literally no reason for this child to think this is going to be a problem in this in their family. But yet they're still afraid. They're still afraid of rejection. And it's that fear of rejection at those teenagers years. And those teenagers teenagers, you're so afraid of rejection because you're no longer the helpless child, but you're not an adult. You're not quite able to take care of yourself and you know that. But you're damn close. <laughs> And it's a dangerous time because instinctively we know whether we know it logically or not, that in the past people were out on their own at 12. So our teenage years now are years we used to be adults. It wasn't that long ago, 200, 300 years. We were adults in our teenage years. And so you know, now those whole years are now unsettled because it's those years where you're still home, but you have a desire to be away, but the world is dangerous and being rejected by your family puts you out of the tribe and being out of the tribe is dangerous. And so you want to stay in that tribe. And so, you know, in a sense, it's the fear of rejection. My girls used to floor me sometimes. The things they would tell me, are you mad? You know, or something would happen a long time ago. Why didn't you tell me? I could have helped you through that. I thought you would be mad. Oh, God. No, I might be mad, but I'd still help you through it. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you thinking, you know? But I'd still help you deal with it because that's my job as a parent is to help I you through. I love you. I want you <laughs> to have the best life. But, you know, but they see some of the, but there's parents out there and they see those parents who don't, who don't respond well. Yeah. Who have these massive, you know, negative or over controlling or overbearing or whatever 
you know, or uh, or even you can go the other way, just don't care. So you see that enough of it, even though it's not really the norm, but it doesn't have to be the norm. You know, if only 10% are bad parents, well, that's enough for your child to see and be become afraid of. And so that's why they become afraid. It's just fear of rejection, which is completely natural for teenagers. And you're the best thing you can best thing you can do is try to keep those lines of communication open means you're going to have to actively do it. They're going to reject you a lot because they're teenagers. They don't want to talk to you. But the fact that they know they can is a huge help. And that's all you can do. Okay, what do you got? Two people both earning 140000 live reasonably comfortably in California, USA. Well, we are in California and one person at $140,000 can live comfortably in most parts of California. And definitely, of course, there is a caveat to that. You have to find comfortably. Now there are parts where you can't like the Bay area. You could probably live like a middle-class person in the Bay area on 140,000. It wouldn't be the nicest neighborhood in the world. It'd be a neighborhood like ours. But, you know, but most of California, like in, here in Sacramento, you'd be fine. You could easily live for uh, 140. And if you have two people each making 140, but even if it's two people combined 140, it'd be, it'd be fine in most of California. Yeah. yeah. You wouldn't be living in the lap of luxury that you would in other places of the country. Because it's insanely expensive to live here. Cost of living, cost of housing, cost of taxes. But, you know, comfortable is a relative term. I could. Yeah. We would have no problem living on $140,000. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, now, granted, there's expenses. As you make more money, there's more expenses that come along with that. Because... You have more money. You're going to want to buy better healthcare plans. You're going to want to buy, and so those cost more money. It's just the way it is. Better insurance. Yeah, you buy a better insurance. Get a pet. Take him to the vet a couple times a year. Yeah. So you know, now if you now if you're thrifty and cut that kind of stuff out and still keep it to the bones, you can live quite well and have a nice happy retirement type of thing. Yeah. So it can be done. There's, of course, there's places in California where you'd be laughable, but for most of California, it'd be fine. Okay. Did we have some comments? No. Okay. I asked my teen sister to babysit my three-year-old because I had to work. She refused, and I got mad and called her a bad aunt. Now she won't talk to me. What should I do? Well, you're going to have to apologize. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so you may have to wait. <laughs> More than once. Yeah. Yeah, you just can't, and you're going to have to explain that you were stressed and, and you didn't really mean it and, and because that's your only real excuse. And she'll get over it. She's your sister, but still, you know, people can't drop everything that they're, got going on because you had a problem 
as much as you may think they should. Yeah. And maybe she should have. Maybe she was actually being a bad sister. Right? But she wasn't being a bad aunt. She was being a bad sister. <laughs> That's a, There's a different thing. <laughs> it's actually different. Right? It is. There's a difference. She may have been being a bad sister. Sisters, brothers, you, you're supposed to pick up for each other. And if she's just sitting around eating bonbons and watching TV, and then, okay, yeah, she should have sistered up and, and watched the kid. You know, she had to go to work or was doing, had something else planned, had to, you know, well, then she can't expect it. But there are some expectations that come with brotherhood and sisterhood, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so she may have been being a bad sister, but that doesn't make her a bad aunt. And for some reason, that's a bigger insult. They're used to being called a bad sister, right? Your sisters and brothers, you insult each other all the time. It's kind of par for the course. <laughs> You've heard the way my boys talk to each other, right? Oh, my sister and I give each other the business all the time. We're <laughs> awful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People used to complain about we, we, the way me and my sister would talk to each other. It's like, what? It's fine. Oh, you scared me a couple times when I first came into the family. I'm like, what the hell? They don't like each other. No, we, we love each other just fine. What are you talking about? I know. <laughs> we're just, we just have vastly different perspectives. We're only, we're not even two years apart. We grew up with the exact same house, went to the same schools, the same parents, the same rate. Yeah, but couldn't be more different. It's all good. <laughs> Wrong with that. I think that says a lot to my mom. She let us grow up organically and becomes who we wanted to, who we really kind of were, as best anybody can, anyway. So, all right. So, what do we got? I lost my job. When I told my therapist, she emailed me to ask if I was okay. I responded, not really. How do I recover from the end of my career and the loss of a therapist? thought care devastated oh I'm so sorry now the way this question is phrased it, it's a little confusing because did they lose the therapist because they lost their insurance this is my guess right yes because but it's phrased differently because you, you your therapy you told your therapist that they, and they called she emailed she emailed yes yeah, she emailed to see if you're okay which in the modern era is appropriate. So I'm not understanding if there's a problem with the therapist, why you thought. So that's why it's a little confusing. The wording is a little confusing, but it is difficult losing a therapist. I, we've had someone in the, in the extended family has had to do that. A young woman uh, off the college has anxiety issues and stuff. And, um, she finally got around, finally got her to go see a therapist. She goes to a therapist the first time and her mother changed insurance. And so she lost that therapist because the therapist didn't take the new insurance. And so now she has to go out and find a whole new therapist. I hate therapist hunting. I am I am the luckiest person. I've had like the same therapist now for like 15 years. And it is the blessing. I... I Seriously, the stability in that care, I'd be a mess. The stability in that 
particular care is so important for me. Now, now I could probably deal with a trend change more than I could previously, but for that first 10 years, that stability was a godsend. And so I do, I feel, I feel for you having to find a new, a new therapist and, you know, find out if you take cash. You know, you may be able to use the health savings account or something. There's usually other ways you can might be able to spend some money. You know, maybe able to talk to the insurance new insurance company, or you know, you don't have any job yet. But if it's the insurance company, one, if you can keep this therapist, they clear up care about you. So try to keep the therapist. You know, we talk about having family members giving you service coupons, kind of thing. Well, maybe there's some family members who will help you pay for therapy keep you from sliding off the rail because you're going to need it, right? This is a time where your friends and family can help pick up some slack, you know, hopefully. So you don't necessarily have to lose that therapist just because you lost the job and the insurance. Oftentimes they're cheaper than you think when you pay cash because they don't have to deal with the insurance company anymore. So that's what I would, uh, that's what I would say is look and see if you can find it. If not, what is there? You, now you've had to change therapists a lot. Yes. So do you have a bit of suggestions for someone who has to change therapist after you've liked one and then all of a sudden you're kind of forced to change? Well, you got to start over again. And there's the getting to know you period again. And I allow myself eight sessions for that transference to happen. So there's a process involved. It's a commitment. And, um, but uh, it, it is sad to lose a counselor that you've grown close to. And uh, I still think about them, wonder how they mine was through Kaiser and they went on to bigger and better things. And uh, I wonder how they're doing. Um, I am in between counselors right now. Um, and uh, the holidays is not a great time for me so i've been thinking about pursuing that a little more so i guess the, the it's just kind of keep at it because what other choice do you have because not keeping at it is worse than keeping at it i i have found some i have found some really great i've had really great counselors over the years that really stand out and some of them i just I just stumble on them. They're just hidden gems, you know? Yeah, sometimes. And, of course, those are the ones that leave to go on to bigger and better things, aren't they? Sometimes. I had one. She was at the end of her career, and she had her own small practice. And she took my insurance. And uh, she was a a family and a sex counselor 
and uh, she helped me work through a lot of things that I had been sitting on. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing. You have to be ready to actually deal with your things. Otherwise, your cancer can't help you. There's a commitment to the process. Yeah. yeah, that's the, it is difficult every time going into a new counselor and going through the history again, because I relive parts of it. Yeah, that's the hard part of the, of the counselor hopping is now you've got to go through all that thing again. <coughs> when a lot of it you've kind of already dealt with, but you still need to know in order to understand how you got where you are. And so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just a pain. So I, I feel for the process, but, you know, but first I'd say try to keep that counselor. There may be ways to keep that counselor and see if you can do it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what's the next one? An employee asked me for a raise, but I didn't give it to him. So he resigned. I really need him now for a project. How do I get him back? <laughs> probably you, don't. You can't. <laughs> probably not. But he just showed you how much he was really worth, didn't he? You undervalued of an employee, and now you're paying for that. That's what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to work on that project. Now, there is an option. You can hire him off on in as an independent contractor, but it's going to cost you. But if he's worth his salt, he's not going to come back to you as an employee because he knows he's got you by the short hair. But, you know, this is one of those things you need to learn your lesson here, that there are some people who are worth the money, who are worth more than the spreadsheet says. And, you know, you have to know who those people are and you have to value them, value them properly. And you, as you're finding out. You know, there's sometimes there's more than just being able to complete the tasks. You need that certain flair, the certain ability to see things differently than other people, to put pieces together, you know, and especially on a big project, you know, someone who can see all the moving parts, someone who has enough experience to see all the moving parts. So there might be tech, like you can find out, there's probably technically five people who can theoretically do the job. But they can't. So, you know, learn your lesson. You're going to have to buckle up, Buttercup, and take a lot of this yourself. Because you're the one who screwed up. Accept responsibility and move on. Now, maybe you can reach out to them, come up with a compensation package, or as an independent contractor, get you through this thing. But learn your lesson. If you don't learn your lesson here, then it's you're not doing yourself or your business or your employees any favor. You are responsible for them. Okay. My father deliberately disinherited my sister. Should I share my inheritance from him with her? Well, I... Would Should you? Well, that's a... Personal thing. I think it would yeah. be... You know, depending upon circumstances, and I'm now because you're thinking about it, I'm I'm assuming you know whatever circumstances drove the split, and and because you're still considering it, you think that maybe it's not quite reasonable, but it's your money. 
and it's an inheritance, so it means he's passed away. So it's not like they can do anything about it. It's your money. You can do whatever you want with it. There's tax ramifications. You know, we talk about standing up for your siblings and being a good sister. Yeah. Well, being a good sibling. And I actually read this. We pulled this one off of a off a core, I think it was. And I went through and I read some of the responses. And it turns out that um, the sister was having uh, difficulties, needed a new heater for the house and all kinds of other, some other issues. And so the money came in insanely happy. The money came in an insanely great time and, and was a genuine benefit uh, to her, to her sister. So, so should you give the inheritance? It's a, it's a personal decision based upon your circumstances, your relationship and wants, needs, desires. I mean, if your sister was a millionaire and probably don't need the money and then you keep it, if your sister's desperate with, with, you know, sleeping in a cold house in the middle of winter, well then, you know, do the right thing. Right? Because, you know, money can't buy love, but it can buy warmth for someone you love. And, isn't that the real goal of everything? Isn't that what we really want to do? Especially during this time of the year. Show our love to our family, our friends, our community. You know, this is when we have the toy drives for, for the for the needy children. This is when we have food drives for the hungry. This is when we get coats for the for the cold. This is the time of year where we Take stock of things we have, and if we have excess, we share them. And that's what we do. Whatever you have excess of, you share. If you have excess love, and that's all you have, you share it. That's what you share. If you have excess money, that's what you share. If you have excess stuff, that's what you share. Access time. Access time. But mostly, despite the fact that we don't think of it, we all have excess love. Every single one of us. It's hard to find sometimes through the pain, you know, pain of chronic illness, the emotional pain of the ups and downs of life, the, uh, just the busyness. You know, just trying to get through life is a busy thing. But we all have excess love. You just have to tap it. It's there. Take some time. Take stock. And uh, find it. Spread it around. The world needs some love right now. It needs as much of it as it can get. So, uh, do that, if nothing else. So, for me and Lovey, we want to thank you for joining us. Please remember, you can find everything about the show at latenightlove.us. You can find us on all the various podcasts and social media networks. And uh, for me and Lovey, please remember, 
to love everybody.